When I was growing up, my parents always tried to teach me to do the right thing. One of the words that we were not allowed to use, or I was not allowed to use, was fool. We weren't allowed to call our friends fools if they did something. Uh, that was just not a word that we would use. And perhaps it's because of what Jesus said, thou shalt, uh, whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. And perhaps that's why my mother and father wanted me to not use that terminology to describe uh, a friend or someone that was doing something that I thought was acting foolish. But I believe that the Bible shows us that there are times that people are fools. And that we need to realize that and that we can be foolish ourselves. Benjamin Franklin said, The learned fool writes his nonsense in better language than he unlearned, but still tis nonsense. People have strange beliefs especially when it comes to those who see themselves as being wise when in reality they are fools or being foolish. The word fool and its plural fools is found about 113 times or 13 verses in the King James Version of the Bible. And within the New Testament, we find eight different words that are translated either fool, foolish, foolishly, or foolishness. And according to Vine's dictionary of the New Testament words, this is what it says is the meaning of those words. They speak of those who are without reason, without understanding, dull, sluggish, hence stupid, foolish, without discernment, to make foolish, to be deranged, foolishness, and senselessness according to their definition. And so I would imagine that we have all been confronted by someone like this in our lives at one time or another. Well, they thought that they were very wise, but actually the decisions that they were making and the things that they were doing was very foolish. Paul dealt with those at Corinth who saw themselves as wise, when in reality they were foolish. We find in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, beginning in verse 20, where it says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolishness the wisdom of this world? And after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. But the Jews required a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so Paul here is addressing those who thought that they were wise. And there are many in our world today that believe that they're wise. They go off to school or some university, they gain some knowledge, and they think that they're wise and that God's way is foolish. And that we are foolish if we follow His plan. And Paul is addressing those that the foolishness of God is even wiser than the wisdom of man. And so as smart as we may think that we are, God is always a whole lot smarter. Tonight I would like for us to examine the thought, a fool is always right, adding these words in his own mind. Before we do that, I want to make sure that we clear something up. 
What we are discussing is not a a contradiction to Jesus' words. As I mentioned, Jesus talked about it in in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22 where He says that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka, or Reka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, thou shalt be in danger of hell fire. So now what is it that Jesus is talking about here? There Jesus is speaking of a person who implies that another is morally worthless. That he's a scoundrel of some type and that he's a reprobate. In other words, he's no good. He's useless. He, doesn't, he does not speak to one referring to another as a fool due to their foolish action. If so, then he would have contradicted himself and self-condemned himself in the parable of the rich fool. Because in Luke chapter 12, which we'll look at a little later, that man who tore down his barns and built bigger barns, it says, thou fool. He was a fool for what he did. So if Jesus is saying not to say that word or call someone that, then he would be contradicting himself. And so what he is saying is that man had a soul, he was of value, but the choices that he made were foolish. And therefore, he was a fool. So in considering the fool, we are not left unable to determine who this might be insofar as the Word of God is concerned. God knows man inside and out and has the ability to identify those who would be fools. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12-13, through 13, it says this, "...for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit into the joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart." Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and open unto Him, unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. And so we learn there that God's Word has the power to discern right from wrong, good from evil, foolish from unfoolish. And so when we make the wrong decisions based upon God's Word, we can determine who is foolish in the eyes of God because He plainly tells us in many different cases of examples of those who are foolish or fools. So I want to look at those tonight, some of those examples that He gives us. And one of them is found in Psalm chapter 14 and verse 1. Because He says there that when someone says that there is no God, that they are a fool. Although they think they're right in their own minds, they are wrong. In Psalm chapter 14 and verse 1, it says, A fool has said in his heart, There is no God. In verses 2, we find there that he has a description of that individual. That they are vile and corrupt. Because beginning in verse 2, it says, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone astray or aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Many times people have been corrupted into believing that there is no God because they want to believe that there is no God. Life would be easier for them if there was no God. There would be no accountability. There would be no answering to anyone even at the end of life. And so the fool says that there is no God. But why does God say that this person is foolish? 
because he claims there is no God, and that is why he's foolish. But why would an individual make that claim? There's not a lack of evidence for the existence of God. I believe that when we look out into nature, we can see that it would, I've, I've always said it takes more faith to believe that evolution took place or this just happened, Big Bang, whatever theory you want to use, that it just happened, that all of these things evolved into what we have today. I believe that that takes more faith than believing that what the Bible tells us, that God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. It is easy to understand that there is a supreme being out there and He created all of this that all works in harmony with each other so that we can enjoy the beauty of nature and so we can experience the beauty of nature and we can see the work of God. In Psalms 19 and verse 1, it says, "...the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork." So look out into the world. Look at how the earth revolves around the sun. Look at how predictable the tides are and, and, and the full moons and, and the different moon phases. It all just kind of came together and just happened? No, it all happened because God made it happen. And that's the proof that we can, have, that we can look out there. They cry out that there's a God. But rather, because that is what they want to believe, that there is no God... They believe that they're right. And those who want to live contrary to God's Word or His wish, that there is no such being, they're wrong because there is a God. Sinners wish that there were no gods, that their God did not exist. No God to whom that they must ultimately answer for their deeds. Because it's easier, as I've already mentioned, to go through life thinking that we're not accountable to a higher being. That we are our own being. We're our own boss. We're our own God to ourselves. That I can do whatever I want to and there will be no consequences. But when you acknowledge that there's a God, then you have to acknowledge that there could be some accountability. That we're going to answer to God. And a Bible that plainly tells us that God created all of these things also tells us that we will stand before Christ and give an account of our life. And we will be judged by the things that we do in this life. And we'll be compared to God's Word. And He's given us a Word that we can use to help us in this life. As we mentioned this morning, the Scripture God gave us is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. It is there for everything that we need that we may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so God has given us everything that we need to live a faithful life in service to Him. So that when we stand before Him on that day, we don't have to be afraid. We can look forward to it just like the Apostle Paul and others. I look forward to that day because we know that there's a crown of life laid up for us. But the fool has said there is no God. And it's always amazing. I read a, a report. There was ice circles on some lake that is 25 million years old. I always wonder, who counted it? How do they know? How? What tests could you do? You I mean, we talk about scientists. What uh, what tests could you do to come up with a number like that? Well, that the universe, it keeps getting older and older and older, in case you haven't noticed. 
Why is that? Why do they come up with billions and billions and billions of years? Just accept the simple fact that God created it. I've always said if we could send a spaceship out so far that it cruised right into heaven, that people would be trying to figure out how to get there through that spaceship when we already have the answer on how to get there. God's way is true. And so the fool has said there is no God. And he's right in his own mind. But that doesn't make it true. We can go on. He who entrusts in his own heart is a fool, according to the Scripture, although he thinks that he is right. This person depends upon his own judgment to the exclusion of God's Word. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, that was read for us, a fool is, or the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Well, why is this person a fool? Because man's heart is subject to error. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 25, There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I think that we can see that, and I think that we can even understand how the heart can be very deceptive. Because we see situations in life where the Bible plainly condemns it, but yet we allow our emotions sometimes to get involved, and we want to surrender God's will so that that person will feel good and we can feel good in our heart. We're afraid sometimes. As I mentioned this morning in the sermon, Jesus was telling Nicodemus that what he was believing was wrong, that he needed to change. He needed to change his religion. And we talk about how uncomfortable that makes us when we have to tell someone that what they believe is wrong, that what they teach is wrong, how they're living is wrong. That makes us uncomfortable. We don't like that. And sometimes we want to compromise. We want to make them feel good. Why? Because we realize it's going to hurt. It hurts them and it hurts us to have to say it. That someone is wrong. And so we allow our emotions to get involved. You know, I don't know how many times I've heard an illustration when you talk to someone about baptism that it is necessary for salvation, that one needs to be baptized in order to be saved. Well, then all comes up all the kinds of ideas. Well, what if they're on an airplane and they're going down and somebody tells them a gospel and they said, oh, I want to believe that and there's no water to be baptized? Do you really think that that's what's going to happen? I don't know how long it takes for a plane to hit the ground. But do you really think that there's going to be a discussion on the plan of salvation in that length of time? But we get all kinds of emotion involved. What if? Well, if this happens, think about that individual. All I can say is what the Bible says. Baptism is essential to salvation. If the plane goes down and you weren't baptized like you were supposed to be, it's too late. Doesn't that sound cruel? Doesn't that sound mean? That's what the Bible teaches us. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not a man that walketh to direct his steps. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, Because that when thou they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They became fools 
because they refused to glorify God. They refused to recognize God for who He was. And it is silly to believe in God and not to honor Him as such. God is God. And we need to understand that. And that if we believe in God, then that means that we need to realize that we're accountable to Him and that we're going to answer to Him. And because the heart is deceitful, we need to realize that it cannot be trusted. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, "...the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it?" Proverbs 12 and verse 15 once again, "...the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto the counsel is wise." Why is that person a fool? Because they set their judgment above God's. When we trust in our feelings instead of what God and His Word are telling us, we are extremely foolish. Another individual that the Bible talks about being foolish is the covetous man. The Bible tells us that he's a fool, although he thinks that he's right. Have your Bible turn over to Luke chapter 12. <clears throat> I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13, it says, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he saith unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not of the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plenty, <clears throat> plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Why is this person seen as a fool? Because he was blind to the source of his wealth. Not one time in that parable does that rich man even acknowledge God. Not one time does that man acknowledge his dependence upon God or his need for God. It's all about himself. Look at verses 17 through 19. How many times does he say the word I or my? And he thought within himself, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. My friend, there's nothing wrong with having money. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 26, For the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. God blesses us sometimes with material blessings. 
Sometimes we're blessed with uh, uh, monetary valuable things, money, uh, 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 things that we like to use in this life. But the thing that we need to realize is that all of it, everything that we have, everything on this planet belongs to God. And that we are stewards of what He has blessed us with. And yes, that includes our money. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, "...charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy." If it was a sin to be rich, then Paul would have condemned that right there with Paul with uh, Timothy, but he did not do that. He gave instructions to those that are rich. Don't trust in those riches because they're not going to save your soul. They're uncertain. You may have them today and lose them tomorrow. Someone could steal them. A storm or something could come along and destroy it all. But as we look in Luke chapter 12 and verse 17 through 19, that rich man had an eye problem. All of that belonged to God and not man. It was God who gave nature the power to produce, but He gave man the ability to be good stewards. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Not only are we to be stewards of God's Word, that we teach others about God's Word, but we are also good stewards, or to be good stewards of the things, the material blessings that He has blessed us with. The one under consideration that we look at there in Luke chapter 12 supposes riches when hoarded would be of comfort. What does He say? I will say to my soul, Thou hast good, much good laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. What's he saying? Those things are what's going to make me comfortable. Do we ever have that attitude ourselves? If I just had enough money stored up, I could be happy. I could be comfortable. But if we're like this individual and we leave God out of the equation, we're not going to be comfortable. We might be happy and pleased in this life, but someday we're going to give an account to our life. And that's why he was a fool, because that night his soul would be required of Him, then whose would those things be? Instead, those blessings that He had became a burden because they possessed Him. He boasted of the future. Although He's not in control of it, we see what He says, I will do this. In Luke 12, verses 18 and 19 when his attitude should have been what we find in James. Where James says in chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get game, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Life at its longest is short. We have no promise of tomorrow. We realize from what the Bible teaches us that there's going to be a judgment. The Bible tells us that it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. So we're all going to die someday. But most important, we're all going to stand before a judgment seat. 
And I don't believe one of the questions is going to be, how much money did you have in your bank account? How many assets did you have? The question is, have you done what you're supposed to do as a Christian? Are you a Christian? Another individual who was a fool is he who hears but does not obey is a fool, although he thinks he's right in his own mind. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 26 through 27. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. In the other example in that parable, Jesus talks about the wise man who built his house upon a rock because he heard and he did. Heard what he was supposed to do and obeyed what he was supposed to do. Both of these individuals built. One obeyed and the other did not. Brother, there's a lot of people that are building on the wrong foundations today. But why is this individual foolish that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 26 through 27? Because hearing is useless unless followed by obedience. <clears throat> How many times have we run across people who can tell you what the Bible says? but they're just not living it. They know what they need to do in order to be a Christian, but they're just not going to do it. James chapter 1, verses 22-25, through 25, But be ye doers of the words, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being, not, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. <clears throat> when we look at God's Word, and if we find there what we need to do. And sometimes we look at God's Word and we realize that we're falling short and that there's changes that we need to make in our lives. What do you do with those things? Well, if you're a wise person, you hear that counsel of God's Word and you obey it. But if you're like this foolish builder, you hear the counsel of God's Word and you go off and you do what you want to do. You don't obey what God's Word says. And so this individual that Jesus is talking about, he hears the warning calls, but he failed to heed those things indicating a lack of wisdom therein. How many times have we heard, and maybe we've even said it ourselves, I know what the Bible says, but I think I'm okay. Well, are you living according to... Well, no, but I know what it says, but I feel like I'm okay. Are you doing what the Bible says? Well, no, but I think God understands. He's told us what to do. It's optional. You either do it or you don't. You're either a wise builder, the wise man, or the foolish man. We need to listen to what God's Word says. 
another fool that we find in the Bible. He who does not prepare himself for the judgment is a fool, although he thinks that he is right. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. It says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. But the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him in the, in the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Why were five of the ten virgins described as foolish? Because they lived for the present. They made preparation just for that amount of time. They didn't look to the future. What if the bridegroom tarried? They didn't think about that. They lived for the moment. They gave no consideration to what lay ahead. They forgot the admonition to be ready. They tried to find refuge in their lamps and vessels and names. But they neglected the oil that was needed for their lamps. When we think about this parable... Is it possible that we might be described as fools? That we live for right now. We don't think about the future. We don't think about what lies ahead. We know there's going to be a judgment. But how many of us live our lives like every day is the last day of our life? Or how many of us live our lives that we think that tomorrow we're going to get up because we've gotten up every other time the next day and life is just going to continue on? I've wondered many times when people go to the hospital and they don't come home, did they ever think that that was going to happen when they went in the doors of that hospital? And I would imagine that some thought that that was going to happen when they went in, but the majority probably thought that they would be going home and enjoying life. We have no promise of tomorrow. All we have is today. But we need to be ready for the judgment whenever it comes. And that means that we live a faithful life not only today, but every day into the future that we live. We need to be prepared for that coming of our Lord. We forget a judgment is to come, but the Bible plainly tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. It's easy to put that thought out of our mind. Sometimes that thought of a judgment keeps people awake at night. Sometimes it makes them uncomfortable. 
I've heard people say they don't want to believe in God because how could a God put someone in hell? And so there can't be a God. God's not putting them there. They make that choice themselves. And if you or I are lost, it's going to be because of the decisions that we make in this life ourselves. God has told us. He's warned us. Instructed us how to live that righteous life. But He does not have an override button on us. He allows us to have free will where you and I can make that choice. There was five foolish virgins and then there were five wise. The wise were not just prepared for that day, but if He tarried, they, were, they had enough oil, they were ready for whenever it was going to happen. And finally, the bridegroom came. It says there in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. When we neglect to live the Christian life, we're placing ourselves in jeopardy. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God expects us to be faithful. Not just today, but if there's a tomorrow, we're to be faithful tomorrow. And if there's a next day, the next day. And the next day and the next day. We're to be faithful as long as we're here on this earth. And if the Lord doesn't return in our lifetime, we're still to be faithful. Because we know that there's a day coming. That when we do leave this life, when we do die, and we're going to be judged according to God's Word. So by believing that all that is necessary is being a member of the church while doing nothing else does not prepare us for living that faithful life. Ephesians 4 and verse 15, be speak, "...but speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things which is the head, even Christ." God expects us and Christ expects us to do something. Not just to sit and look pretty, but to be involved. To share the Gospel with people. To encourage one another. To be benevolent in our work. Not only as a congregation, but as individuals. What are we doing to serve God? Tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation, you have that opportunity and you can come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.